But we, we are continuing our uh, Christmas adventure. And we have looked at uh, peace and we've looked at hope. And what we see today goes hand in hand with those two being in place in our life. Peace and hope. Where there's peace and where there's hope, there can be joy. And when they're there and when they're founded in Christ as they're meant to be, then, then we can have the kind of joy that the Bible speaks to, that the Holy Spirit reminds us of, that the Word of God fuels, and that Jesus alone provides. He has come that we would have hope and peace and joy. Luke 2.10, as we've seen and we will see, says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Jesus alone came to bring joy. We can have joy in no matter what we face, no matter what we're up against, no matter what we go through, because not only does Jesus live, but one day He's coming back for us. And that ultimately is the consummation of all these things that we're looking at. The, the consummation of our hope is His ultimate return. The, 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 the consummation of our peace is knowing that one day He will return. We will reign with Him. The consummation of our joy is knowing that, that right now, as we'll see, we are... We are in the betrothal phase, if you will. We have been betrothed to our groom, Jesus Christ. He has gone, John 14, 1-4 says, He has gone to His Father's house to prepare a place for us. And when He is done, He will come back and He will get us, His bride, and He will take us back to live eternally with Him. I hope you see that picture. We're in the betrothal. We're preparing for the wedding. And because we know He's coming back, we can have joy. So I want to look at those today. I, I want to look at joy today and, and four aspects of joy. And, and you see them there on your, on your handout. And, and uh, biblical joy, first thing we have to see. We, we really, I really want to define. We've got to define what we're working with here. You ask ten people joy. Remember, we talked about the family feud a couple weeks ago. If you, by the way, they're doing auditions in Tampa. We learned of that. We, we've downloaded the, the app on our, on our iPad, and we've been practicing as a family. We're getting good. We are getting good. We all sit around the table and, and uh, yell out family feud answers. And so, uh, if, but if you put a survey of 100 people, I guarantee you, you'd get a lot of answers as far as what joy is. How is it fueled? How is it sustain, sustained? Where does it come from? So I want to start by defining the terms biblical joy is based upon the truth of God's Word and the character of God. Biblical joy is based upon the truth of God's Word and the character of God. We are trusting in His character. Our hope, our joy, our peace, it's based upon not only the promises, the truth of His Word, but His character. What, what, did it, what is it that we're talking about when we say joy? Because again, what the world describes, just like we saw with peace, we said the world's definition of peace is, is, is the absence of something. Christ's biblical definition of peace is the presence of someone. It's different. And the, just like that, with the world's version of joy, the world's version of joy is going to be completely outwardly focused. It's going to be completely circumstantial. It, it, biblical joy is not that way. Biblical joy is based on a relationship and it's internal. So I want to clear up, you see on your handout, I want to clear up some things. What biblical joy is not, what biblical joy is. Biblical joy is not based upon feelings. 
We don't measure our joy based upon feelings. This this week is is a is a rough week for for our family. Tomorrow will mark the fifth anniversary of Karen's father's death. We don't we don't judge our joy based on feelings. We can have joy because we know that. He is at the right hand of His Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And one day, because of His promises, we'll be there too. It's not based on feelings. And I share that not to bring up bad memories, but just to say that I hear you. When I I talk to you and know you're going through tough times, I hear you. Our family is going through that with you. It doesn't mean that we just walk around with this silly grin on our face all the time because everything's hunky-dory. I'm talking to a room of people that are battling some very, very tough things constantly. And yet there's joy. Biblical joy is not a feeling. Biblical joy is not controlled by external conditions. It's not governed by what's going on externally. It's not governed by, by what's going on around us. Biblical joy is not reliant upon favorable circumstances. It's not that we have joy only when the circumstances, when all the quote-unquote stars line up. I mean, how how often does that happen? Not very often. Not very often. And if your joy is based on that, you're going to be on on an emotional and a spiritual roller coaster. You're going to be a, a, a schizophrenic Christian. Up and down, up and down, all over the place, worried about what's next. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is based upon truth. It's totally reliant upon the truth of God's Word, totally reliant upon what God's Word says. Biblical joy is is governed by internal convictions. It's a conviction that what God has said is true, that what He said He will do, He will do. It's conviction that, hey, no matter what we face, we will not be separated. That, hear me, that is Satan's number one MO towards believers, is to want you to feel and to think and to believe that God is not for you, that He does not love you, that you've done something to separate. That is totally contradictory to Scripture. Now, sure, sin will devastate our fellowship with Him, but it will not destroy the relationship with Him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're struggling with joy, if you're struggling with these things, I'm going to encourage you, run to Him, not from Him. Matthew 11, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, He says. It's governed by internal convictions. It's rooted in a relationship with Christ, a relationship No matter what happens in my marriage, I go back to June 28, 2003. Karen said, I do. I said, I do. I go back to that. There's a relationship established. What what we do in our marriage, it's rooted in that relationship. Well, guess what? Lord willing, there was a day where you repented of your sinfulness and you received God's forgiveness. On that day, a relationship was established. An eternal relationship. Because of that, there can be joy. And what the world thinks of when they think of joy is really happiness. And there's a big difference between joy 
and happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. Hear me. Happiness depends on what happens. Happiness is a fleeting emotion. It comes, it goes. And when, if we put our focus on happiness, we will be up and down depending on whatever happens to us. We will be our mood, our behavior, our demeanor, everything about us will be dictated by our surroundings. That's not biblical joy. True joy is different. It's something that comes from within. It's reliant upon truth. It's an abiding peace. It's a sense of contentment and strength that's due to something that's internal. It's due to something that's promised. And whereas happiness depends on what happens, joy is dependent upon who God is. And James reminds us that in Him there is no shifting of shadows. He does not change. He can be relied upon. It's truth. And I want to illustrate it. You see on your handout, I want to illustrate it a, a few different ways here to help bring this home. Happiness is driven by cosmetics. The word cosmetic is order. It's outward focused. Joy is driven. Joy, joy easy for you to say. Joy is driven by character. Inward focused. Happiness is like a thermometer. What does a thermometer do? A thermometer only registers the conditions. A thermometer only tells you it's 86 degrees out. There, there's nothing a thermometer can do to change the temperature. It simply tells you what the temperature is. That's happiness. A joy, joy is like a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? A thermostat regulates the conditions. A thermostat, you tell the thermostat what temperature you want it to be, and the thermostat makes sure it stays there. That's joy. When our joy is rooted in Christ, it takes all those circumstances and we come back to the truth of who God is, and it regulates the conditions. It doesn't just register the conditions. True joy changes the conditions. It allows us to walk through things, to get through things, because we know that Christ goes through it with us. Happiness disappears in time of suffering and trial. If you're relying upon happiness in times of suffering and trial, there will be none. And yet the Bible says that joy intensifies in times of suffering and trial. Why? Because we know there's a relationship being harbored. There's a relationship being grown. There's an identification. Romans 8.30 says He's conforming us into the image of His Son. Paul said in Romans 8.18, we've said it before, he, does, he says the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed in us. Paul says in, in Philippians 3.10, Therefore I will I rejoice not only in His resurrection, but I will rejoice in the fellowship of His sufferings. Why? There's an intimacy being, 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 being carved out there. It's because of joy. And true joy is found in the truth of God's word and his promises. By faith, we take those promises and we apply them to our lives. We take hold of them in our lives. We rely upon them that they are true. No matter what our circumstances say, we know that the word of God trumps our circumstances. We know that the word of God is true regardless of our circumstances. Because again, Satan wants you to doubt his word. Go all the way back to the beginning. Did God really say? He says that same thing to us. Did God, if God loved you, certainly your loved one wouldn't have died. If God loved you, certainly that accident wouldn't have happened. 
If God loved you, certainly you wouldn't have gotten sick. The reality is that even though all those happened, the, the truth is that God absolutely loves you. That's the beauty. That in spite of that, He loves you. In spite of that, He's for you and not against you. And in spite of that, He says, I will walk you through it. You're not alone. And He says, actually, what I'm doing in you is I'm conforming you to the image of my Son, who is the firstborn among many brethren. I'm, I'm preparing you, as 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, comfort others with the comfort that you've been comforted with. He says, I'm preparing you to be prepared to walk somebody else through this very same thing. That might be what God is doing. God might be preparing you to have a ministry down the road to walk with somebody else who's going to walk through that very same thing. He doesn't waste circumstances. God does not waste experiences. He's preparing you to be a better minister. He's preparing you to be a better picture to the world. But it's all through the truths of God's Word and clinging hold to them and putting them in our heart. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. With that comes joy. Comes joy. We got to know this Word. We've got to trust in the character of the God that this Bible describes. We've got to trust His character. That no matter what we face, He's good. No matter what we face, He's for us and not against us. No matter what we face, He's promised that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we face, He says that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world and that He's overcome the world. And when we lean on those and when we know those and when those have settled in our heart and taken root, we can have joy. But it's based on the truth of God's word and the character of God. Not only that, though, biblical joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. See, biblical joy is about a relationship. It's a relationship with Christ. It's a save, and through Christ, it's a saving relationship with God. In the Old Testament, joy was seen as a, as a community's response. It was a response. To God, to all of His blessings. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. All the different offerings that they had. They were responding to the different characteristics, the character traits, the, the blessings of God. But a relationship to God was key, and it's key here too. How you respond to God's commands in the Old Testament resulted in joy or the absence of joy. You can go all the way back to Isaiah and see that they were, they were the people of God rejoiced in God who would one day send His Son. Look at Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly. That word rejoice, that's joy. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. You see it? For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see what they're doing? They're getting ready for the return of their king. What you and I are doing is we're getting ready for the return of our groom. One day he's coming back. And that brings great joy. In the New Testament... You see this. You see it directly relinked to a relationship. We have been betrothed. We have been promised. Christ is coming back. Time and time again, we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. 
not in your circumstances, not in what's going around you. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. Look at Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. What's Paul doing? He's taking them back to the Word of God. He's taking them back to remind them, rejoice in the Lord. Later on in Philippians 4.4, look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's our tendency? To stop rejoicing. Our tendency is to forget all that we have to rejoice about. But it's in the Lord. And when we go to this word, it reminds us that we have an unbreakable, unseverable relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can have joy. That no matter what we face, there's a relationship there. But, but joy, if you, as you read it, it's a command. It's not automatic. Joy must be cultivated. That's the point Paul is making. It must be cultivated. If we're going to experience it in this life, you've got to cultivate it. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. We've got you sow the word of God in your heart and joy of the joy that's in the Lord in your heart. You will reap joy. It's got to be cultivated. Look with me at John 15, verses 10 and 11, and I'll show you what I mean. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. What's he saying is necessary in order for joy to take root in your heart? Abiding. Abiding in Him is the source of the joy. Being obedient to Him. You, you want to enjoy your marriage? Love your wife. Love your spouse. If you, if you offend those vows, if you break those vows, if you go against those vows, the joy in your marriage is gone. I'm not saying it can't be restored because we serve a great God, but you get the picture. You disobey your vows. You break the covenant that you said at your wedding day. It, it robs the joy of your marriage. Obedience brings joy. We, we can't live however we want to live as Christians, offend the relationship that's there, and then expect to have joy. Look at, look at Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you, in, in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exult in you. Look at Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, again, is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We won't look at them, but Psalm 32, 11, Psalm 63, 7 say this. The Lord's presence is a source of joy. It's being in His presence. It's intimacy. It's be, the Bible talks about the shadow of His wings. It's intimacy. You know... Jim Hampton and other soldiers went, went away to war and they defended this country and, and, and they wrote letters. But guess where, guess where their joy was ultimately found? When Jim got off that plane back in the States. It was his presence. Joy is found in the presence of our Lord. Look at Psalm 90 verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Joy comes from being satisfied with who God is. 
It's reading this word and saying, you know what, Lord, I believe you're enough. Me, you plus me is enough. You're enough. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied in who you are. I'm satisfied in how you, you've doled out your grace to me, how you've doled out your blood. I'm satisfied. The, the question is, can you say that today? Can you say that you're satisfied with who God is, that how he's dealt with you? Maybe what he's doing right now? We've got to trust him. There's joy there. Look, look at Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You want to say he says gentleness, self-control. Joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of being filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. That, that's why I said Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's how we are full of the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit at the moment of, a moment of salvation, and yet the degree to which we fill ourselves with God's Word is the degree to which we will be controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit. It's produced in us as we hide God's Word away, as we live in obedience, obedience to the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 16.34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Guess what? Joy is an overflow of salvation. This man was saved, had repented of his sinfulness, he and his whole household. He realized that once there was condemnation and now there's forgiveness. And joy overflowed from salvation. Being saved, the fact that we now have peace, we've been reconciled, we've been ransomed. Source of joy. It's an overflow of salvation. Nowhere in the Word of God is joy linked to material possessions. It is connected directly to salvation. If you're saved, there ought to be joy. There ought to be joy. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 7.4. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our what? Affliction. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. See what it's based on? The grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What were they responding to? Grace. God had given them tremendous grace, and they were responding even in their poverty, even in their fiery ordeal. Even in their struggles. It all went back to grace. Look at 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor after the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials, struggles, you know what they do? They prove our faith. They purify our faith. That it would come forth as gold. And joy, the point is, joy comes out and reigns even in the midst of suffering. God refines our joy in suffering. It's not dependent on external circumstances. It's rooted in the character and the nature of Christ. And our, our relationship to Him dictates everything else. But, but joy, hear me, there's another aspect here, and I want to be sure, I don't, I don't want us to leave here without getting this. 
Joy is not automatic for a believer in all senses, nor is it static. It's not automatic and it's not static. It's found through maintaining fellowship with Christ, maintaining fellowship. We, we, again, we can't live however we want and expect to have joy. I, I share with you 1 John 1, 9, look at, look at starting in verse 6 of 1 John 1. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin destroys joy because it destroys fellowship. Destroys the fellowship. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And, and sometimes, sometimes our joy will need to be restored. It will need to be restored. And, and look at Psalm 51 verse 12, what David says here. This is a, a tremendous psalm. He's, he's uh, repented of his... He says, forgive me of my trespasses, forgive me of my iniquity, forgive me of my sin. And, and he says in Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He had sinned with Bathsheba. He ended up killing Uriah because of it. The baby that Bathsheba was with because of their adultery ends up dying. And in Psalm 51, you see, a, you see a man that's broken, that is repentant, that is just laying his sin out there, confessing, and he's saying, Lord, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow, he says. And I'm not saying at all... And the Bible doesn't say that joy means that we won't struggle, that we will not have ups and downs, that we will not lose it every now and then, that we won't forget who we are, that we won't forget what Christ has done, that we won't forget truths that we know, that, that there won't be days where we won't struggle maybe to get out of bed. Don't hear that. But what we do is we have a source of joy that will help us walk through those days. And it comes from the Lord, it comes from His Word, it comes from fellowship right here. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling together. Why? So that we can encourage one another. Encourage one another. That, that's what David is saying here. He's saying, bring me back to who I am in Christ. Remind me of who I am in Christ. Recalibrate me. Forgive me. And it all went back to where? His salvation. It all went back to the relationship. And our salvation is the starting point of our joy who we are in Christ, what's been done for us in Christ, what will be done for us in Christ, it all goes back to Jesus Christ. We have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and, that, and we can experience a heightened joy because of that. And, and, and the, deeper, the deeper our relationship is with Jesus and, uh, and His people, the greater the joy. The deeper the relationship, the greater the joy that awaits us. It's like digging a, a well that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. There's always water. There's always what you need. It's a relationship. Joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Know Him and know Him well. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. 
Eternal life is in knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is His strength. Do you know this joy? Have you tapped into that joy? Do you understand the strength of God and has that become your joy, knowing that He who is for us is not against us? That nothing will separate us? That He's disposed Himself to us? Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy that the Lord contains is my strength. It's not from externals. It's in the Lord. Thirdly, biblical joy is fueled by God's Word. Not only is it it's in the truth of God's Word, the character of God, it's in the found in the person of Christ, but it's fueled by God's Word. When, when, when we study God's Word, when we, when we meditate on God's Word, it literally is like putting another log on the fire of your heart. It's, it's stoking those fires to keep them burning. And I'm not talking about losing our salvation. I'm talking about sustaining our joy. It's putting another log on the fire. Look at Psalm 119, 111. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are a joy of my heart. Look at 1 John 1, 4. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. It's the word. It's the Word of God. And I want to get real practical here. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed. Some of you, I want to, some of you may have come in here today battling, battling feelings of loneliness. In a crowd this size, maybe you're lonely. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you believe that? Some of you came in here today maybe brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3 says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Some of you came in here today and you're, being, you're tempted. You're, you're being overwhelmed by temptation, maybe even beaten by temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overcome you, but with such is common to man. And with every temptation, God is faithful. He will provide a way out. What? So that you will be able to endure it. You're not going through anything that's not common to man. You're not going through anything that God has not already provided a way of escape so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Some, some of us may be coming here today feeling attacked. Coworkers, friends, whoever. Psalm 3, Psalm 3, 3 says, Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me, the glory and the lifter of my head. Do you know God this way? Some of, some of you maybe came in here feeling hopeless. So, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Maybe, you, maybe you're here today and you're battling self-esteem issues. 1 Corinthians six twenty says you have been bought with a price. You are worthy to God. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you realize that God rejoices over you? That He loves you? Maybe today you come in here feeling shame. Romans 10.11 Whoever believes in Christ will not be disappointed or put to shame. Maybe you're here today, you feel guilty. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Maybe you're feeling anxious. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. Maybe you've come in here today and you think nobody cares for you. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that you shall be called children of God and such you are. He loves you. If you're not a believer in here today, I give you John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Either way, He loves you. And here's, why, here's what I hope you see regarding the Bible. It addresses whatever you're walking through. He, he, he addresses it. He's good for it. He wants to walk through it with you. He wants you to have joy in the midst of it. The Bible fuels our hope. It, it gives us hope. It restores our hope. But we've got to know it. Look, look at Jeremiah 15, 16 quickly. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The words were found, he searched for them, he ate them. They weren't always necessarily a joy, they became a joy. So I, I ask us today, how about you? Are, is God's word richly dwelling in your heart? Are, are, you, are you holding on to his promises? Are you, are you clinging to His promises even in the midst of Satan attacking and, 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 and saying lies over you? I, I hope you see there that God's Word fuels our joy. Whatever it is, God's Word fuels our joy. But we've got to know it. We've got to eat it. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We cannot starve ourselves of the Word of God and expect to be vibrant believers. Expect to have a hope that's vibrant. You can't do it. And lastly, regarding joy, biblical joy is fulfilled in the return of Christ. It's fulfilled in the return of Christ. Luke 2.10, look at Luke 2.10, we, we've shared it. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. It's the Christmas story. Jesus, the baby in a manger, the giver of good news, the giver of great joy, which was to be for all the people. Jesus, the one and only Savior of the whole world, the one who would take away our sin, provide peace, provide hope, joy in the midst of sin, in the midst of a dark world, He would be light. Jesus would grow up to die on a cross. He would bear the sins of the whole world. He would bear the wrath of God on your behalf, on my behalf. He would be our ransom. He'd be a satisfactory payment that the sin of the world deserved. He would be crucified. He would be buried. But three days later, guess what? He got out of that tomb. He rose out of the tomb. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Ultimately, what we're looking for and the fulfillment of our joy will be in the return of our Savior. Ultimately, what we're looking for is to be with our Savior. Our joy will be fulfilled at the return of our Savior. Look with me at John 14, verses 1 through 4. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, 
there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Jesus goes on to, Thomas says, we don't know the way. And Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father, but through me. Jesus is preparing a place for us, His bride, right now as we speak. What He's called for us is to purify ourselves, to prepare ourselves for His return. Our groom, Jesus Christ, is coming back for us one day. And, he, and, and the, the, the purpose of this word is that we, He would find a bride that has purified herself. That is anxiously waiting for His return. That, as the Bible said, has not let the oil in their lamp burn out. Has not forgotten that one day their groom is coming back and set their mind on other things. But a bride who is waiting patiently for her groom. Nobody gets engaged just to be engaged. They get engaged to get married. And everything about the, everything about the engagement points to the marriage. Everything about what you're doing right now points to the reunion of Jesus Christ and His bride, a marriage feast, a marriage celebration. Jesus is at His Father's house, just like what they would do in, in, in these days. The, uh, uh, a father would choose a bride for his son. That son would, would become in, in, in betrothed. He would go back to His Father's house, and He would build a home on His Father's house for Him and His bride. That's exactly what's going on right now. And one day... He would go back and get his bride. And while he built that house, there would be attendants that would care for the, for the bride, make sure she was pure, make sure she was ready, that one day that groom would come with the wedding party and he would get his bride and they would go back to live in the house that he prepared. That's, that's salvation. That's what we're waiting on. The joy of why we do everything is knowing that one day our king, our Groom is coming back for us, for his bride. We're his bride. He's preparing a place for us. Don't get focused on the here and the now. Remember, one day our king is coming back. Don't lose heart while you wait. Don't lose joy while you wait. Our Savior is coming back. Philippians 3.20, look at it real quick as we close. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exhortation of His power that He has given to subject all things to Himself. What are we waiting for? The return. Our joy is in His return. Our joy is in the fact that one day He's coming back. Colossians 3, 2 and 4 says, Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. If you'll do that, our joy will be settled. It, it, it's not on the things of this earth. It, they're, not, they're, not, they're not about my joy. My joy is in the fact that one day my king is coming back for me. And I pray, as we, we have a moment of invitation, I pray that every single one of us knows this Jesus deeply, personally, relationally. Daniel's going to come up here and pray and play. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that you would come down and we could talk about that. Maybe you're battling through something right now that you want to talk to me about. Whatever it is, as Daniel, as Daniel plays, I, I pray that you would humble yourself and come. Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
For some of us, that starts at salvation. For all of us. But then it goes on to the circumstances that we face in this life. Come to Jesus.